And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. Well, I will tell you that in the past 10 years, probably since this podcast has been going, I have had a sports revolution. I didn't grow up watching football, but right around 2013, I got into fantasy football and it kind of became my favorite sport. Basketball will always be my first love, but football is the new shiny kid on the block. Even to this day, despite all of my fantasy football season championships and success that I've had in the playoffs as a fantasy owner, basketball will always be my first love. But football, it's a very it's a very unique sport, and I think that that's what really intrigues me about it. Is things that work in football don't work in any other sport or in real life. And we're going to talk about that today with Tyler Dunn, who wrote a book called The Blood and Guts, which focuses on the tight end position, a position you may not know anything about, but in his mind, it encapsulates the entire sport of football. So we're going to talk about that today, and I'm very excited about this. I can't wait to get into this. Tyler, thank you so much for being on the show today. The book is called Blood and Guts, uh, How Tight Ends Save Football, and you know, Blood and Guts... I looked it up. Um, this is the these are the unseen forces that give something life, right? And is that you know your heart, your brain? They've got other connotations, but the, you know the stuff that makes you pump, that makes you alive. Uh, that's the, that's the blood and guts. And you seem to make this analogy that that's what the tight ends are. Uh, I mean, were you going for that, or did you just want to get that gritty feeling of like football blood, guts, and the gore and the viscera? <laughs> All the above, for sure. I think. You know, the impetus for the book is just a love of football. You know, I've covered the game, been around the game since since I can remember, really, you know, Mm -hmm. since being a little kid. And Mm -hmm. uh, I've always known I wanted to do this for a job. And I played football at a young age. I've just had this great, deep love, passion for real football. And I I wasn't really sure what, what the book would be. You know, I've always wanted to write a book. I've always done long form journalism. But what what's something you want to devote? a year, a year and a half of your life to. Right. And the more I really thought about it, it's like, all right, the, the tight end position encapsulates the game itself because mm-hmm. you got to block, you got to go out and, and make a, make a catch on third and long with 70,000 fans in a stadium while millions at home are watching. So you've got the grit, the grime, the glory, all of that mm-hmm. kind of mixed into one. And I, I guess that's kind of what got me into it. And simultaneously, I find myself being a, an old curmudgeon watching pro football and all seeing all these flags and the softening of the product. It's just, yeah. you know, this, this, the sanitation of football, it's, it, it's just dipped into Purell. It drives me nuts to see yeah. how the league is trying to find a middle ground that does not exist. Right. right. As long as you can block and tackle, there will be injuries and violence and inj- all of that will happen. Mm. So I kind of added it all up in my head and it's all right. Well, the, the tight end can preserve Real football. Mm-hmm. As, as long as there's physicality involved, 
that position, that player is going to preserve everything that we love about the game itself, the personality of the game, Gronk, Kittle, Gonzalez, Shockey, back to Dick. All these guys have wild personalities. So that was what got me going on the project. Uh, but the more I traveled around the country and, and hung out with these guys in person, the more I feel like the book kind of took on a life of its own. It became something bigger than football. I, I feel like these guys teach us a lot about life. I think you're probably right. I love that you said real football and sanitizing and what, what the sport is to you, because I want to get into that uh, because I think you, that, that perspective comes through completely. There's a couple of narratives that I picked up, uh, you know, and I could see how you, basically how you the football through your eyes would be, a, would be a, a sub subtitle, I think. Uh, but I think it's really interesting to talk about, but before we do, you know, this isn't a football show. I don't know how many non-football shows you've been on, uh, but you know, we're t- for, for my international listeners, we're talking about American football, not football, uh, AKA soccer. <laughs> uh, and you know, football, right? So you've, you've written for the bleacher report, uh, you've written for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. For those that aren't in the know, those that covered the Packers there, the Buffalo News, you covered the Bills. You know, I'm going to hit shameless plugs in early. You can't be the only one. Uh, I did a whole Fascinating Nouns episode on small-time newspapers, and I wouldn't call Milwaukee or Buffalo small-time, but they're the heart and soul of American journalism, the blood and guts of American journalism, if I may be so bold. Uh, and you also have a football news site. Uh, those watching on the YouTube channel can see it behind you, Go Long TD. Uh, when you do a podcast with Jim Manos, who is the former Bills head of personnel, articles, hot takes, everything's on that website. And I have to say, you know, uh, it's pretty cool that your initials are TD. You know, I mean, they aren't TE, which would have been better for the book, but TD is pretty good for football, for your product. Uh, were, were your parents looking to turn you into a football prodigy when they named you? <laughs> Maybe, maybe my dad told me that I was almost a Rocco, which that may, I think I had a better shot at maybe making it as a player. If I was a Rocco done, Uh, but yeah, this uh, go long TD.com. It was like, you know, I'm driving around one day and I I was starting the site on Substack. It's going to be long form journalism, humanizing long form on, on pro football. I feel like there's a niche for that. um, That really is kind of getting, getting lost through all the memes and gifs and takes and tweets. And I'm like, you know what? Go long because it's right in the name. When you sign up and subscribe, you know, you're going to get hit over the head with a six, 7,000 word story. (laughs) And also when I was a quarterback back in high school, I liked to throw long. So it it fit perfect. Yeah. It was like the go route with, with the, yeah, the go route with Rocco Dunn. That would be pretty cool too. I mean, that's not a bad (laughs) podcast title. Uh, Are you cool if I call you Rocco for the rest of this? Because I love Tyler. I'm I'm fine with it. I I told my dad I like Tyler, but I I I would have liked Rocco. I think you know who who knows where life would have (laughs) gone. Rocco's pretty pretty cool. So you mentioned you played Octagon, (laughs) right? Yeah, totally different. Uh, But I mean, the blood, guts, and and violence that you like—it's all there too. Um, So you you uh, you played you played football. Do you play at the collegiate level? I did one year, actually. Um, okay. I'm actually wearing an old high school shirt here. I went to Ellicottville, about an hour south of Buffalo, New York. Represent. Very I like it. Small <laughs> school. Yeah. yeah I'm not, I'm going to sound like Uncle Rico, right? Like reliving the glory <laughs> days. Um, <laughs> very, very small high school. We graduated yeah. like 45 kids, you know, right, wow. a huge farm right by the school, pre-K through 12, all in the same building. Uh, and But oh. we had a great team. I mean, we... Uh, we made it to Ralph Wilson Stadium, the Bills Stadium then. Both mm-hmm. of the years I was quarterback, and I think the last year we were third in the state. So 
had a good squad, very small school, class D. Uh, so I tried to continue prolong the collegiate career at St. John Fisher College, uh, just yeah. outside of Rochester. It was it was great. I love playing. Uh, but, you know, I, I was I think I was like a six string linebacker at that point. Just wasn't going <laughs> to cut it and wasn't wasn't very good even for the D3 level. And I said, you know what? I'm leaning into what I've really wanted to do my whole life. And that's, that's journalism. So I transferred to Syracuse uh, the next okay. year. And that's where I, you know, I went to DO university, really the daily orange our student paper there probably helped me as much as anything in life. I love that. I mean, cause I was, I listened to a couple of your interviews and you mentioned you played in college and you know, it's, I, I went to look at you in the Syracuse. I was like, Oh, is he, was he an orange man? Uh, but you weren't, you are you're freshman year there. You weren't there. <laughs> it's all right. I know. I, I was like, wait a second. Hold on. Either I'm going to, either I'm going to catch him in something or there's something else going on here. Uh, I like I it. I love the investigative work. That's, that's good. Uh, I do it all. I did not know that you went to a school of 45. Super impressive. You have me beat. I went to a school of 500. My graduating class was 120. And I th- I thought that was one of the small schools around. We had the worst football team, actually. I, I think my freshman year, we went one in nine. Um, so when I was in high school, my uh, football team was crap. When I went to college, I went to NIU, which is a Division One school, uh, NCAA Division One, worst team in the NCAA. Two hundred fifty-five out of two hundred fifty-five for the four years I was there. They won one game and tore down the goalposts and put them in the lagoon on the other side. That's how excited they were. One game. <laughs> one game. Uh, so I didn't grow up with with like my my grand one of my grandparents was into sports. He really, uh, he got me into the Bears. I was alive during the 84, 85 season. That was when it was, you know, on and popping out in Chicago, but not really for, football wasn't really for me. I came to it with fantasy, uh, which gives me a whole different perspective on football. But where did, so where did the passion for it come from? I mean, were you really into this from the beginning? How do you get a passion like that in a small school, you know, and and like with parents into it, what's going on? Yeah, you know, my dad he was all about football. You know, he played uh, high school. He, he actually played one year of college at Teal, from what I remember. Uh, okay. But, you know, he had all those legendary stories to share. And he coached me sure. in uh, peewees and midgets and all that growing up. And sure. that was it was it was the best uh, you know, to have him as a coach, as a dad at every practice, every game. So, you know, playing it was always a part of my life. I think I started playing in third grade, which is crazy to wow. think about putting the pads on in the helmet and smashing into other kids when you're that little, I can remember the, the, the bull in the ring drills, right. And yeah. you're that little playing bull. I think it's outlawed and you the football now, yeah. uh, but as a fan just as much. And even though I grew up in Western New York, so it's, I don't know if I believe my parents on this one, but this is what they tell me. They say right. I loved Gumby as a kid, like, Love before Gumby was even popular. Loved Gumby. So the okay. second I started watching sports, I associated the the G and the green with Gumby, and I became a diehard Packers fan at like five, six years old. So, which was like what 93, 94, right when Brett Favre's breaking onto the scene. He starts winning MVPs. They win a Super Bowl. I was obsessed with the Green Bay Packers at a very young age. And soon me and my dad started taking a, a pilgrimage to Lambeau Field every other year, like a father-son trip. The wow. best time of my life T- to this day. I just cherish those trips with dad. I mean, I had my first beer at a Packers tailgate. 
at, <laughs> which was pretty <laughs> awesome. At 11, 12, I grew up in the Midwest, so I know how that goes. <laughs> I, drink I, I think it was in 10th grade. It might have been 9th or 10th grade, right? So 10 years. Yeah, boy, that's what, 15, 14, 15? Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a riot, oh. though. I mean, because I, so I had a, a deep passion for it. And then like every sports writer will tell you, eventually you just stop being a fan. And you know, I, I, I'm i kind of fast forward in here, but I, I interned out there in Wisconsin during during college. So I went to Syracuse after the short-lived Fisher football career. Right. And for two summers, the, the, the I rarely mentioned the, the rarely mentioned time at Fisher, by the way, the secret, <laughs> the secret year, secret semester. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But you know what? I, it was awesome. So I covered training camp mm-hmm. for the Packer Report and the Shawano Leader, uh, okay. which is like a tiny little town north of Green Bay, just to be out there. And it was probably a little before then, during then, then, I, I, you kind of stop being a fan. You root for the story, not the team, all that stuff. But I could still relate to that passionate Packers fan sure. uh, at, at a very deep level because I was one for most of my life uh, as a kid, <laughs> uh, which I think helped me in that regard. But, yeah, to answer your question, it probably goes back to those trips to Lambeau and, you know, my dad coaching me in youth football and just really falling in love with the sport in every possible ah. way. Back to Gumby. I will tell you that, you know, I grew up in Chicago and I was, uh, you know, Bulls fan. I grew up during the, the Michael Jordan era. So very lucky. Here's what happened to me as a kid. See, like you had beautiful stories to tell about your dad going to cross country, have a good time. I don't have those kind of stories, Tyler. What happened to me is my grandfather took me to a golf course when I was nine years old. The one and only Michael Jordan, the legend himself, is playing golf that day. Happened to be there. It's a beautiful course out in western Illinois, uh, west, of, western, west of Chicago. Uh, so I went up to him, nine years old, worked up the courage to say, hey, Mr. Jordan, can I please have your autograph? And he looked at me uh, as if I was a piece of turd on his shoe. And he grabbed the, uh, the, the number, the little scorecard, and he took the little pencil, and he wrote M-I-K on it and then threw it back at me and walked <laughs> off. And I re- I remember, like, I hated that autograph and everyone thought I was in, I couldn't tell you where that autograph is. I wish I had it now. I'm sure it's somewhere in my stuff. I bet I still have it. But that scarred me for life. Uh, and I was one of the first people, I go back to the early 90s, hating Michael Jordan and knowing he was a jerk. Listen to everyone out there in TV land. He's a jerk way back then, I knew it. And so anyway, the point of the story is not to, for a crybaby story, but to tell you that I then latched on to the ultimate anti-Michael Jordan, who was Reggie Miller, and I became a Pacers fan uh, from, from Chicago. So That is awesome. That <laughs> a is awesome. Different. <laughs> a little different than the well, way you, you know, came to it. Not, not to further rub it in, Daniel, but like that same time, <laughs> I was a big yeah. Charlotte Hornets fan, and oh. Glenn Rice was my guy. I mean, first yeah. Alonzo Mourning, but then they, they trade yeah. Zoe to the Heat, they get Glenn Rice. And then we mm-hmm. we saw Glenn Rice down at the Bahamas on a family vacation. I think he was playing for the Knicks by then, but still, like he was my okay. guy. Yeah, yeah. Total opposite experience. Went up to Glenn Rice and took a picture with him. I look like as whiter than a ghost in the picture. It's pretty hilarious. <laughs> the blonde yeah. hair before I turned ball. And he, yeah. he took a picture. And then I forgot to get his autograph. So like later that day, I went back with a napkin. He signed the autograph. Couldn't have been nicer. Played basketball in the pool with his son, who I think I did a play at Michigan. It was great. It was an unbelievable experience. So Glenn Rice, clearly the better all-time player in person 
than Michael Jordan. <laughs> I mean, you know, some people have these great stories. Uh, you know, I, I think I may have been a good football player because as I'm reading your book, the best of the best are hardened by, you know, horrible life experiences in their childhood and they're kind of forged hardened steel. You know, and they become the tough, gritty players that really do make it far. Are they happy in their personal life? No. But are they extreme successes? Absolutely. So maybe I fall into that camp. Maybe you're the soft one here, Tyler, having that nice, cushy upbringing. <laughs> You're the soft sports right. journalist. You're, <laughs> you're right. You're not kidding, man. You're not kidding. I mean, I was not Ben Coates on a roof from age 7 to 20 or Jimmy Graham in a group home fighting for his yeah. life or everything oh. Dallas Clark went through. I mean, yeah. you know, with his mom dying in his arms. I mean, to yeah. turn it dark. I mean, it, these, you're right. These guys went through so much. I mean, Dicka with his dad. I mean, he yep. doesn't regret a thing, but – it was it was a different time right in the in the 40s yeah. and 50s so yeah I, I think that uh you know the tight end position what i've learned in this book it's like you you don't choose to be the tight end the tight end position really does choose you unless you're rob yeah. gronkowski and you grew up idolizing jeremy right. shockey because you know he got all the chicks and parties ass right. off and had the time <laughs> right. of his life i mean gronk is the exception everybody else it's like that organically over time just kind of became a tight end and it never really was like a goal of theirs as a kid, which I, I really found fascinating working on this project. Yeah, it was really weird. And I do want to mention before I forget that Rob Gronkowski's AOL screen name as a fourth grader was Chick Magnet for Life. And any pro wrestling fan, I'm going to spoil this for you, CM Punk CM stands for chick magnet. So uh, there's a lot of chick magnets going around when you're four, <laughs> you know, eight years old or whatever. Uh, but that Rob Gronkowski, I, I love his story. But I want to get, I gotta, we got to talk about one thing before we get and dive into tight ends. One more thing here. I wanted to peg you down. You mentioned real football before, yeah. you know, what it is. I want to know where you stand on what quote unquote real football is. Now, I will admit, as I said, I, I came to this from a fantasy perspective. Uh, I didn't grow up loving football, but now I think it's, I, 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 it's my favorite sport. Uh, you know, basketball, I grew up loving loving basketball, but football has overtaken it, even though we're right in the middle of the NBA playoffs. But I want to know, where do you stand? I mean, it seems like, you know, in some of your interviews, you talk about how much you love the big hits and you kind of acknowledge that there is a problem with CTE and, you know, people getting whacked and their short careers being shortened. But you kind of you waffle on it. I mean, I, I, you may be part Belgium. I don't know where your ancestry is, but you sure do love the waffle. So where do you stand? I'm going to nail you down. I'm going to nail you. You're a piece of jello. And I'm going to nail you to the wall here. Where do you stand on this? See, I, I God, maybe I haven't been clear enough because I don't feel like I'm waffling on this. I, right. I, I love football for being what it is. And that is a, a sport for the modern day gladiator taking on a profession that we can't wrap our minds around. They're mm -hmm. stepping into arena knowing full well that they, they could suffer serious harm to their bodies and their brains. And they, okay. they accept it. They know it. And it's scary. It's not for everybody. And I, I, it's crazy. You know, so many of these players, including a lot of the tight ends in the book and, and guys I've interviewed for, features that go along that are, that are suffering down the road and they're in their fifties, sixties. They struggle. Get, they, I can't even think of one person who regret, who has regrets mm -hmm. about playing every single person, including like a Jamal Lewis, who yeah. running back for the Baltimore Ravens. I did a long story in him at bleach report, mm -hmm. suicidal thoughts, depression, mm -hmm. serious, serious stuff. Every day of his life doesn't hesitate 
man, I would do it all over again. The camaraderie, the life lessons, the friendships for life, what it did for me financially and, and setting up generational wealth for my family. There's so much good that comes out of it. I, I guess what I struggle with is the NFL not accepting it. Like there's a lot of darkness to the game. There is. And you, you have to acknowledge it. You can't hide from it. I don't, I don't hide from it. I, I mm-hmm. look, I love the big hits, the violence, but you have to acknowledge that it's, it's inherent to it. There is this other side that is, it, it could leave permanent damage to your bodies. I feel like the NFL is kind of disingenuous and in, in trying to sell its product as safe when it's not safe. Right. And okay, I, I think if you just kind of own it, you, you would avoid a lot of this search for the magical middle ground. That's utopian middle ground. That does, it doesn't exist. So I just think that the hypocrisy of the NFL at every turn to just not own its own game, own its own violence is what does piss me off. And you're right. I mean, I have written a lot of stories about head trauma and CTE yeah. and this stuff is scary as hell. Yeah. I'm working on a story right now in Kolong on a quarterback who suffered four concussions and it's yeah. it, brutal. I mean, what, what, what the game did to him and he's another one who doesn't regret a thing about the sport. And so I, I guess it's like, I'm not glorifying the hits because, oh my gosh, this is so great. It's going to give you head trauma for life. I glorify it because this isn't for everybody. The, right. the, these guys are courageous. They're brave. They're stepping into an arena that we, we wouldn't dare do it. And yeah, you know what? I'm not going to hide from the fact that when you do it, shit's going to happen. And it's mm-hmm. scary. Mm-hmm. And here's that side of it too. And then you let the reader decide. Okay. Like, I guess, you know what though? I'm kind of rambling here. That's the okay. DeMar Hamlin cut, stuff yeah, didn't push me to the limit. The, the DeMar was, Hamlin stuff was horrifying. I mean, I was there in Cincinnati mm-hmm. to see that up close. Mm-hmm. I think we all struggled with how do we kind of reconcile covering this game, supporting this game, pouring mm-hmm. all of our money into this product, whether you're a fan, whatever. Yeah. Media, how can you even? And I just thought about a conversation I had with DeMar Hamlin for a feature before that long before that happened. And he grew up in McKees rocks and more than half of the kids he grew up with are dead. Uh, he's, he comes from a really, really bad place. And he said, then I want to be a source of hope of inspiration of light. So there's a kid on my street who knows this isn't it. You can get out of this situation. Yeah. And that's kind of how I was able to move on in that moment when we didn't know what the hell was going to happen with Tamar Hamlin is yeah. This game is there's there's a lot of darkness to it and a lot of and I'll with the car arrest all there, um, but I think that's how you can kind of reconcile is it does so much good on so many levels and provides so much hope for so many because there's so many Demar Hamlins coming from places like that around across America that that's I think that allows us to support football for the good the good that it can provide far outweighs the bad. No, and and I like that. So that's a, that makes sense to me. So essentially, if I'm if I'm because uh, I was going to mention Demar Hamlin, you know, Tua had a lot of scares, young quarterback, getting a lot of concussions, having very freaky stuff happen to him and his body on the field all in one season. You know, Mike White was out with concussions. You know, you look at Ryan Shazier, who on a weird hit, you know, ends up being paralyzed, and, and you know, he worked his way through and he's able to walk again. But most people don't, and that wasn't a dirty hit. That was just playing the game. And you know, I, I like the I think. 
I think my problem with, with some of the stuff I was listening to before is that you would say that and then come back to like, oh, well, you know, we worry about these injuries, but then also, you know, I like this, but I, we also have to think about that. But I, when you commit to, hey, this is a tough sport, I can respect that. I totally understand that because I think you're right. In some ways, I don't want to compare it to the military, but people know what they're signing up for. If you're going over to war, mm -hmm. I mean, you could end up injured and, you know, uh, I, I wrestle with, with the fact that, like, some of these things are avoidable. I'm a big pro wrestling fan, right? And so, you know, growing up in the 90s watching pro wrestling, people take these raw chair shots. Everyone says it's fake. It's not fake at all. It's choreographed. Big difference in <laughs> in, uh, in semantics. These people take raw chair shots in the head. CTE, life shortened, memory loss later in the future. But there's also nothing to help them through that, you know? And, and I think... Now, with today's science, we know what CTE does. You know, Chris Benoit was a, a tragic story uh, in, in with yeah. CTE and in pro wrestling. And I think now you can make that. You can say, hey, we know the damages of concussions. You can make that agreement. But I don't think you could in the 50s and the 60s when people weren't treating it. They were wearing leather hats, you know. Uh, and so I, I think that that's kind of where, where my struggle is, is we have to keep people safe. But you know, it's kind of like cigarettes. We know what cigarettes do. If you're smoking now, you're not getting any money when you get asthma later on, you know? Um, I just so want the NFL to own it then. Own it, right? Don't, okay, let's not enough. dance around that the fact that it's rough and violent and does this, yeah. does this to you. You know what I mean? That, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. where I'd get a I'm little upset. Yeah, yeah, and I'm with you. Now, now I completely understand and I, and I respect your opinion. And I think for me, I've never been a big hit guy. I played basketball uh, in high school. You know, I played basketball in college, you know, just like you, except by in college, I mean, I played pickup games at the local rec center, um, but I was still playing a lot. And, yeah. I, you know, I played rough and, and I knew that I played post and I got pretty physical and I knew, the you know, I, I accepted the risks, but I don't like I, I don't like big hits like that. Uh, that's why I couldn't play football. I admit that I'm, you know, and when you have people who are kind of sitting on, I think here's, here's my problem. Then, then we will move on to tight ends is when you have people who are kind of sitting at home, who've never played the game, who are out of shape, drinking their beer on a recliner, watching the full Sunday football lineup that I know I love. And then they're saying these guys should be taking more hits and we want to see them, you know, getting, you know, not protecting them. It's like, if you haven't been out there and you haven't accepted that and you don't understand it, you shouldn't be the one saying that they should have those big hits. If the guy's in the game and the NFL want to set that out and then they accept it, that's a totally different story, if that makes sense. I feel like um, it's yeah. almost like you know it when you see it. Like an illegal sure. hit, something you, you know when you see I don't know what, what year that would have been. I'd say maybe I can remember James Harrison being on the cover of Sports Illustrated, Lighten. Muhammad Massaqua up. Oh, you know what? Forearm shiver to the yeah. head. You know, yeah. what, what, maybe that would have been like 03, 04. There was some kind of turn then. Hey, look, a lot needed to be cleaned up in the game. I'm not advocating yeah. for the decapitation of wide receivers across the middle of the field. Like, yeah. this is, it's good. You know, a lot, a lot of that had to get cleaned up. I just yeah. feel like the last 10 years, we've seen an overcorrection that's bad for football. It's mm -hmm. it's at risk of changing before our very eyes and turning into something that isn't really football. And I Vince Williams, Steelers linebacker, I thought he put it best. We, we were talking last year for a story and he's like, man, and granted, he's like an old school, gnarly inside linebacker that loves to hit. Mm -hmm. And the game just passed him by. He's like, man, for the longest time, like you had to be tough to play this game. Like you, right. you, you had to know what you were signing up for and know that there's this 
you know, a t- war of attrition, every training camp where guys are, is, is this for you or not? And you kind of yeah. weed out the week. And it's yeah. been like that in Pittsburgh for years and years and years. And he's like, you don't have to be tough to play in this game. You can kind of go over the middle of the field and know you'll be all right. Or any, any yeah. contour of the field. And I don't know if that's necessarily good. I, I feel like the overcorrection has been extreme, <laughs> especially with the roughing the pass penalties, but I digress. It's, I, I, think I just think right. the yeah. NFL has kind of gone overboard with everything. Here's here's the thing, you know. I, I this this all makes sense to me. It's funny. The things I don't like are I don't like fake tough guy antics. If you if if some guy's not looking, if you've got a receiver who's not looking at you, and you come across the field and you level him from behind, and then you get up and beat your chest like you're the toughest guy in the world, you're a coward. You hit a guy from behind. You're you're not a man. You're not strong. And, and so I, I don't like those antics. And the same's true in basketball. I mean, Draymond Green, I cannot, I, 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 as much as I can hate someone who I don't know personally, I think it all goes on Draymond Green because he hits guys in the, in the genitals, you know, uh, you know, not, not once, twice, two times, you know, one for each, you know, each testicle. And, and that's not <laughs> tough guy football. That's, I mean, that's not tough guy basketball to me. So right. I, I would say that cleaning up those types of hits, uh, everything else, if you accept it, that's the game, right? Let's go right into Mike Ditka. He's a perfect example of this, right? He's a guy who knew what he wanted to do, was just smash mouth football, but you saw him coming. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't taking any cheap shots. To me, you know, he's a great person. You start the book with him, and he's a great encapsulation of what tight end is and what I think old school football was because he really kind of encapsulated the br- brutality, but also the finesse and the skill and, you know, he was extraordinarily popular for it. Yeah, I feel like Mike Dicka understood this whole, um, you know, top of the food chain kind of mentality that you need to have yeah, on a yeah. football field. Where it yeah, was yeah. like if somebody went after one of his guys, God forbid, went after him, it was like he, he took a mental note of your number, of your name, and he got his revenge probably the next play. And he provided some specific examples of that. Like this, this isn't going to happen. Still to this day, that's what's so funny to this day. He can give you examples. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Oh, he was, he was sharp as hell. I was, I was blown away after all these years, but he was the apex predator out there, man. Like he, he knew what football was and granted it was a really different time in the sixties, but he understood that if you're on this field, like, yeah, it's, this isn't for everybody. And him and Ray Nitschke especially would get into it. I mean, they constantly were going at it. You know, Ray Nitschke would clothesline him and then Mike Dicka would drive him into the dirt. I mean, it spilled out into the streets of Milwaukee outside of a restaurant. They're jawing <laughs> at it and it'd be yeah. broken up. So yeah, I think like, you know, there were clearly really, you know, there, there were big names in football, but it really entered the mainstream in the sixties. That's when all the, the metrics and numbers show pro football kind of passing pro baseball by as America's number one sport. And I think you needed those characters. You needed those larger than life personalities that leaned into what made football different and everything we're talking about here. Mike Dickett did that better than anybody. And he did it at a position where he's getting the ball, the balls in his hands and he's running over people for touchdowns. The cameras on him. NFL films is taken off. It was kind of a perfect storm. 
Yeah, you bring up a couple of interesting points here. You know, the personalities are something that I've always thought were really interesting. You know, again, I, I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. That's all wrestling is. It's big personalities. The NBA is probably more pro wrestling than basketball because when you watch the NCAA tournament, that's real basketball. When you watch European yeah. team ball, those that's why those guys were killing us in the Olympics. That's real basketball. You know, now we've got one-on-one, thanks to Kobe Bryant. Yeah, one-on-one ball and, you know, Lots of single players, they're selling shoes, their personalities, they're, you know, that's different. Football doesn't have that. You're wearing a helmet and you got numbers and the ball is spread around between, there's 22 guys on the field, all right? Am I, my, my math right? That's right, yeah. yeah, 22. 22, so you're not really, you know, if you're not getting the ball, if you're not the quarterback, running back, receiver, no one knows who you are. No one knows the, you know, the offensive linemen and they're subbing people out all the time. So it's very different. I'm very surprised. They really sold the sport instead of the individual. And from what I'm saying, from what I'm hearing is Mike Ditko was the first guy to really be the character that got people to tune in. I think so. I mean, I, I get it. It's, it's subjective. I mean, you could point yeah. to Bart Starr and and those playoff yeah, games okay. with Vince Lombardi. There's definitely like some iconic moments, but in terms of play style and doing things that we hadn't really seen before, Mike Dicka was a trailblazer. I mean, there, there's a, a play he made. I want to say it was a couple days after JFK was assassinated. So it's kind of a shock that they even play football games. He's against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was so tired. Like he he didn't even want to stay in the game and run another route, but he caught a short pass and he broke like five, six, seven tackles by the Steelers. I mean, these guys, they look like little kids trying to tackle him. It's pathetic. I mean, it looks like an adult dropped into a Pop Warner game, how they're just bouncing <laughs> off of him. I mean, th- yeah. nobody had ever really seen that before. And, and John Mackey, very similar. I mean, he came on at the same time. It, it, it's just, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. Like John Mackey was 6'2", 255, something like that, where yeah. today a, a 6'2 tight end is not physically imposing. Back then, yeah. John Mackey was, you know, Superman. That, that, right. That's how his, a teammate <laughs> described him. Bill Curry, uh, yeah. he, he was just larger than life. So I, I think that that's why maybe these guys kind of won the hearts over people. And look, the tight end position didn't even exist pre-Dicka. You had right. your split ends. You had your ends. He was called a tight end, similar to Mackey, because all of a sudden this end who didn't really do anything but block and yeah. maybe run a couple of yards and catch a short pass – was making all these plays down the field. So you had to call him something. It, it, it became a major part of the NFL offense. Well, he was the first tight end. And, you know, there was, uh, I think it was a, a tight end coach named Mike Pope said that the tight end position is a lot like the Colorado River eroding the Grand Canyon. It's an evolution, right? And I think we see that in your book. And I kind of labeled some of these guys. Uh, you know, Mike Ditka was kind of like the original amphibian coming out of the ocean, you know, onto land, <laughs> four legs, doesn't quite look, he's nowhere, he doesn't look human, he, he's not a fish, he's not a land animal, but he's the first, the first to do it. He's yeah. kind of the prototype, right? And he, he's got, he kind of represented football at that time. And then, you know, we move into Jackie Smith, who's, who's an interesting one. Now, I put him as being kind of adding athleticism to it. You can correct me if I'm wrong here, but he seemed no, to be, right. I mean, his dad was an Olympic level hurdler and, um, you know, one of the quotes, he's got a lot of quotes in here that I, I wanted to mark, but one of them is he refused to lose and that it's a game of arms and legs played from the neck up. To me, that is that encapsulates sports. Now, you mentioned with Mike Ditka wanting to get revenge on people and, you know, and having the toughest of the tough. 
it is a brutal sport. It is a meat grinder. Everyone's looking to take your job. It is the ultimate encapsulation of what competition is. And, you know, I, I think that that makes great sports heroes. We don't want, you know, especially in the, you, you want to talk about watered down here. Let me quickly say this. I think our society right now is pretty watered down with wanting to like spread the ball around to everyone where no matter what your qualifications are, no matter where you are, you kind of always get a chance, right? The best of the best does not rise to the top. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a not, you know, maybe it's not, I don't know, but I do know that in football, if you're not good enough, you're cut. There's, you don't have to give excuses. You don't have to make, you know, there, there's no quota system. You're either good enough or you're not good enough and you're off the field. And, you know, I, I kind of like that pure form. I'm, you, you're, you're turning me around on football here. You know, maybe it is this brutality that I like this, you know. Uh, and I think that Jackie, uh, Jack, uh, I'm sorry, um, Jackie Smith, I think he kind of understood that, that it's a mental game that you're really trying to win here. Absolutely is. I mean, here's somebody from, you know, nowhere, Louisiana, didn't really play football at a super high level in high school or Mm. college, but just had this indomitable drive in him in every possible way. I mean, he's, he still can't believe that the the St. Louis Cardinals even drafted him like in the draft room. It's like, Oh, just take that redheaded kid, you know, that can run really fast because he was a track star. That that was it. But he gets out there. I mean, his heart was unbelievable. The injuries he played through the, the grit, the toughness. I mean, just a crazy story when the Cardinals were playing the Washington Redskins, he was hurt. He's in street clothes, but mm-hmm. somebody took out Terry Metcalf. So he just runs out on the field to fight the dude. And, mm-hmm. you know, the refs made him sit in a chair far away on the sideline as punishment. Well, he kept a mental note of that guy's number in his head. He's visiting his mom in Jackson, Mississippi, that next off season. And his yeah. mom said, Hey, did you know that a Redskin player moved in down the street? And he's thinking this is like divine intervention. I'm going to get my justice here. I'm going to take this guy out. And he goes to the guy's door. He's got a fist clench. He's ready to beat him up. And it was somebody else. And he was super, super nice. But like (laughs) that desire to get his revenge, you know, in the off season while he's visiting his mom is, is rare. That's old school. And that just like seep through every pore of Jackie Smith. And really, I, I think I call that chapter a mindset because almost everything he went through after he was done playing kind of made Jackie Smith who he is. Uh, You hear that name, and a lot of people might think of the drop in the Super Bowl against the Pittsburgh Steelers in the back of the end zone where there was so much more to that moment, to that play, that game. But it negatively affected his life and the relationships with his loved ones in his life uh, for decades. It really wasn't until 2020 that he looked in the mirror and and got over it. I mean, over tears and beers in St. Louis, he really opened up on all of that for the book. Yeah, it was great because it's a, it's a I mean, it seems like you got to something he had a hard time talking about, which is, you know, as a journalist, that's incredible to be able to talk to someone about something so iconic and get the first you know real take from the guy who was involved. Uh, I thought that was a big moment in the book. Uh, and, you know, he his story, I'd never heard of him before. I, I don't know anyone, you know, before like 20. 20- 2001, I think, <laughs> as far as football goes. This is all history for me. But, you know, and I think with Jackie Smith, you mentioned how he never got tired. And there are certain people who they're actually human beings like this. I have another podcast uh, about science. We talk about pop culture, science, superheroes, things like that. And so I've looked at there are genetic situations and your gut bacteria actually can help out with this where Hmm. you can you don't metabolize lactic acid in the same way. So you, you physically don't get tired. You know, there's very few people like this, but. That is, you know, what I like about this stuff and kind of what I was saying before is football 
is really for elite athletes. You know, sports, sports is the only place where certain mindset can really work. If you have the mindset where you're just going to go kill a guy who moved in next door, that doesn't work in normal life. You shouldn't have that mentality. Right. right? Like that'll, right. that you'll, you'll, if you're not an NFL, you're not a sports player, you're going to end up in jail. But on the field, it's a totally different game. And that mindset works there. It doesn't work in real life. And, and sports has elite athletes. You know, now we're looking at, you know, I, I, I'm going I'm to get, I'm, I'm sure people are going to unsubscribe as soon as I say this, but you know, you've got in the modeling industry, you know, models are genetic freaks. Athletes are genetic freaks. You know, now we've got models who are, you know, 400 pounds. And it's like, what, what are we doing here? Like, like, what are we doing? These are, these, are, these are not, it's for the genetically gifted. We're not all genetically gifted, which is what makes them special. Let's stop taking away what makes them special because we, we should all maybe not look up to it, but understand that there are things that look inside you and find out what makes you special, but stop taking it away from other people, especially athletes, in my opinion. You just put it perfectly. I mean, that's kind of what Vince Williams saying is like, if you're stepping out of that field, mm-hmm. you, you better be tough as shit. You know yeah. that this isn't for everybody. Like right. this is, this yeah. is, it's different out here. I think everybody listening who's played pop Warner. I mean, I had those moments as much as I love football. Some of those yeah. hitting drills as a kid, it's like, man, I don't know if I want to do this. I might just, right. have, I might have right. arm tackle yeah. this guy to the ground. I'm not yeah. sticking my head in there and risking yeah. paralysis. No, thank you. But right. it's, it's those moments of truth. Tony Gonzalez told all kinds of stuff. Like he was, a, he was a wuss as a kid. He, I mean, he yeah, says, yeah. I, and he didn't use wuss. I mean, he said, I yeah. wanted nothing to do with football. He was bullied relentlessly. It wasn't for him. And it wasn't until later in high school that he looked in the mirror and faced down his demons, stepped back into that hit and drill and locked mm-hmm. horns with the toughest guy on the team. So I, to your point, yeah, I, I think that that aspect of football, it needs mm-hmm. to stay at the core of the sport itself for the yeah. core to for the for the sport to survive for years and years because if Vince Williams is right if it is really not for tough guys anymore and anybody can play and you can run all over the field without the risk of really getting dinged or hit or injured um it's going to become flag and i don't know they they tried to make flag football a thing in the pro bowl this year and i don't think anybody cared or watched or really good, good luck if it's going to go that direction good luck getting you know billions of people Millions of people to pour billions of dollars into your industry. Yeah, well, you do. I mean, there is a quote. I was going to give you a hard time about it earlier, but you said that um, you said uh, basically you said it's only a matter of time before football becomes flag football or something like that. And you said, oh, you, know, you said it's not hyperbole that the NFL will eventually become flag football. And I think that is the definition of hyperbole, actually. But you maybe maybe you're right. I mean, maybe there's going to be a WNFL. I'm coming off as a, as a misogynist here, but maybe there's going to be a WNFL. It's going to be flag football. Uh, who knows? I mean, you know, uh, I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. I mean, it's not just me. I mean, player, there's players who think that, that at this rate, I mean, they're already kind of flirting with flag. And I mean, it's a good thing. I mean, I don't want my two-year-old son sleeping behind me here when he turns five to just start playing tackle football. I mean, flag at that age is probably the way to go. We've learned a lot about CT, as you said, like let's limit those sub-concussive hits at a young age. Um, But I I think that's the the direction the league's going. Hey, maybe it is hyperbole, but I think that players, high-profile players are, are worried about where it will be in five, 10 years. 
Well, it's also, you know, I sound like an old man here, but it's a lot of the participation trophy stuff. Like I came, I grew up in the generation where you, when you got a trophy, you earned it. Like you got first place. And if you didn't get first place, you didn't get anything. And you thought about not getting anything for the next, for the full season. Right. When I, when I moved into um, (laughs) the town where I went to high school, I was six foot. I mean, I was six foot two at like in sixth grade. I was, I was really tall. I ended up being six, four. And so, you know, but I was in seventh grade towering over everyone. And guess who didn't make the basketball team? Who's got two thumbs and didn't make the basketball team? This guy. <laughs> uh, I didn't make it in eighth grade either. And I was I was really upset. I, I, I mean, I was beside myself. You know, I was a little I was a little Tony Gonzalez, was, you know, was crying, really upset. But I, I didn't just say, hey, I'm going to join a league that's going to put me on the court. I went and I played basketball incessantly for an entire year made this team when I was a freshman, started off in freshman B, ended up in varsity by sophomore year. But that's hard work. That's not getting what you want right away. It's not It's not handed to you when you work for it. And when you see these athletes, as you mentioned, Tony Gonzalez, there's a moment where he had to shift. He couldn't be that pansy, like running around school, worried about getting hit. And he turned into, he faced it. He was embarrassed by the way his mom looked at him. Uh, one, one morning he was hiding from some kid and he turned his life around and he's he became different. So if you want to be different out there, work for it, dang it. And I think yeah. a lot of this stuff comes in your book. A lot of these guys, they did these things. So perfectly said, man. I mean, that's, it's almost a lost art. And, and, and as a dad now, two kids, like we've yeah. talked about it as parents, like they, your kids need to go through stuff. They need to, you, you need Absolutely. to go through hard times to grow yeah. as a person. Like if, if you're just going to be a snowplow parent and just remove all obstacles, you're doing your kid a disservice. <clears throat> Tony Gonzalez talked about this at length. Dallas Clark talked about this at length. These are guys who, you know, achieved everything you could possibly achieve on a football field. Your kids could live like Kings and in Dallas Clark, they moved their family back to Iowa. Cause you know what? I want my kids to kind of go through a similar upbringing as, as me, maybe not as extreme as some of the stuff I went through, but they yeah. need to know what hard work really is. Same thing with Tony Gonzalez. You look at him, he's an actor, he's on TV. It looks like he didn't even get hit in his entire football career. Right. You know, yeah, he, yeah. he more so glides <laughs> than he walks. He's so smooth and yeah. he's got kids and he's like, man, I, I, my kids, like they're they're going to go through some shit at some point. It's waiting for it. Whether you like it or not, that hard time is going to hit you. It's going to club you over the head, and you're going to have to respond. So do, when your kid gets to that point, whether it's at 14 years old, 18 years old, 22 year old, what up? Like, don't yeah. you don't you want that kid to be calloused and ready to take yeah. on that moment and be ready for that moment? So yeah. he does a lot of the same things as a parent, and it's crazy that we even have to verbalize. Talk th- stuff like this. It should be common sense, right? But yeah, I totally agree. For whatever reason, this generation is it just you don't want you don't want to offend anybody. You, you don't want anybody to go through a hard time. Uh, I think we are soft. Seriously, Wait. I mean, I, I just think society has gotten so soft to the point where h- hard times are, are frowned upon and not looked at as something that can make you a better human being. Or character building. Well, so let me ask you, let me ask you, let me put you on the spot here. So you got a kid, he's sleeping next to you. Um, when he goes, when he, I'm sure it's inevitable. You're going to put him into sports. He's going to play football, basketball, baseball, whatever. So when his team, you know, and he may be the best and his team may win, but when they lose and they have that big banquet and everyone gets handed a little trophy, are you going to look at him and say, are you proud of this kid? Is this what you want? 
And are you going to smash it in front of him? Say, you're not, no son of mine is going to put that on the trophy shelf, kid. It better say first. I don't want second. I don't want third. I want a first place trophy or you're not good enough. I mean, you going to be that guy? I hope so. I probably won't. I probably won't be that harsh. I, 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 I won't, I, I'm not going to beat my kid down, you know, Dicka style. I, I, I can promise you that. So you want a soft but, kid? You, know, you want, you want a, you want a marshmallow? You're going to raise a marshmallow? Is that what you're going to do? <laughs> a little Stay Puff to call your kid no, Stay well, Puff. We're going to be, we're going to be hitting the gym, baby. 8 a.m. the next go. morning, getting there ready for go. next season. <laughs> That's right. So we're going to be working those king drills with the layup lines, the mic and drill, the three-man weave. We're just going to be hitting it hard the next Championships day. Championships are one Actions, louder than words. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Uh, well, so, you know, uh, we're talking, we're getting crazy. We're talking personality here. That seems to be the next evolution here, right? Shannon Sharp, he's in your book. He's a tight end who yeah. really was the first guy who in this string of tight ends becomes kind of the, the funny guy, the cool guy, the guy who stands out in a way, in a, a way that's different than everyone else. You know, he's the guy who people, you know, he was, he kind of made people tougher by, really shining a spotlight on their insecurities and making fun of them relentlessly. And if you survive that, yeah, there's a lot of trials in football. I've just come to realize as we're talking, if you survive that trial by Shannon Sharp, you were a better player and you were probably funnier too. So uh, I really like this. I mean, he seems like a guy who I think I would have had a hard time getting along with at first, but probably would have been my favorite guy in the long, in the long run. You sound like a player for the Denver Broncos in the 90s because that's exactly <laughs> how they put it. I mean, Terrell Davis, I mean, yeah. the exasperation in his voice to this day about that 1995 rookie season that he had, right? So he's, what are you, a six-round pick out of Georgia, had the big special teams hit. That's how he gets noticed. And he, mm -hmm. he becomes a running back, runs for 1,000 yards, and obviously makes it his way to the Hall of Fame. But um, he just said how relentless – ruthless, brutal Shannon Sharp was on him. I mean, it was how you dressed when you walked onto the team bus. I mean, he told Anthony Lynn, the fullback, you know, that suit you have, I, that's good. I'm going to use it as my handkerchief. Like, I, I can't <laughs> believe you're wearing that. Just, I mean, yeah. brutal. And it was, yeah, they were exasperated. He, he beat you down and it was rough, but he was really at, at the heart of the camaraderie Mm -hmm. uh, in that locker room for the Denver Broncos, really, I should say, in, in the in the stretching line, because that's really when it became Shannon Sharp, Sharp Comedy Hour, and he's just yeah. picking his victims one by one, calling you out, and they they needed that. You know, with football, it's it's a it's a long season, it's a grind. You need every morning when that alarm goes off, you need something that gets excited to go to work because, like we're saying here, it's it's not for everybody. I mean, this game, this profession, is not normal. You don't go to work, beat up one of your coworkers, and then slide into the ice tub to talk about each other's families, you know, when you're right. working at the bank or the library, whatever <laughs> pharmacy. Yeah, it's yeah. different. So it's like you need somebody with some personality that's just going to keep morale up. And that that was Shannon Sharp in every possible way, whether he's, you know, the, the special teams coach is going on and on about busting a wedge and I need people who are going to take this on. And Shannon Sharp at that point, he was a nobody, yeah, first or second year in the league and yeah. hadn't really proved himself. He just puts a finger up and walks out of the room. Yep, yeah, this isn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's ready to die. Um, there were so yeah. many of those stories where, to the point where they win a couple Super Bowls and mm -hmm. he's one of the best tight end, the, maybe the best tight end in the NFL at that point. And when mm -hmm. he left, you know, after, yeah, they, they John Elway was no more and Terrell Davis had the injuries. But players said, like, them losing Shannon Sharp to Baltimore 
had as much of an effect on that team as anything because it was like just the the heartbeat of the team wasn't beaten anymore. It was it was yeah. gone. It was like a, you know morgue when they're stretching their hamstrings at practice after he was right. gone. They call it Club Shay Shay. You said they they. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like he was kind of a guy inspired by Muhammad Ali with the trash talking, which is an interesting thing, because uh, when we get to Kittle, his trash talking is very unique. And I want to talk about that. But, you know, Shannon Sharp, if I'm understanding it correct, talk about Sharp. I mean, he was really clever in the way he researched his trash talk. He wasn't just a guy (laughs) who came up with it and just called people out and came up on top of his head. You know, this is my this might be my favorite way to psychologically rent space in somebody's head. I think you know where I'm going. So if I screw up the story, let me know. But he's on the line. He's staring right across from a blocker and he just starts saying numbers, you know, three, one, zero, three, one, two, four, five, three, seven, let's say. And it's, you know, everyone else like whatever. And the other guy's realizes that that's his girlfriend's private cell phone number that he has just said on the line. I mean, you can't get into someone's head better than telling him back his girlfriend's private cell phone number. That is, I mean, that's that's an artist, in my opinion, true master of his craft. Diabolical, diabolical. Yes. (laughs) Chiefs, Broncos, Monday night football. I think it was 23 to seven. Denver's driving, right? Like one of those marathon drives just to ice mm-hmm. the game. And they're going right down the field. You know, Bobby Brister, I think, is the quarterback. That was an Elway was hurt that second Super Bowl season. And Derek Thomas, I mean, a Hall of Famer who's right. you know such an upstanding citizen in the community, like so beloved on the field, off the field. It's man, just I, I know, I mean, losing you. his man, mind. Well, man of the, so Man of the Year Award and known for being a cool-headed guy. Right. And just right. To add to the story, man of the year. OK, sorry. Go on. Right. And he just is losing his mind like cheap shot after cheap shot, like try, like <laughs> literally trying to take Shannon Sharp's head off. It's on YouTube. I mean, anybody can go look it up. It's crazy. I mean, Dan Deardorff, I think he's on the call. Like, what the hell is he doing? What is he thinking? This is insane. Yeah. And um, come to find out after the game, Shannon was reciting the numbers each individual number to the whole phone number of Derek Thomas's girlfriend and letting him know loud and clear that he had special relations with this girlfriend. There's, there's one Bronco player. I was talking to him about that story and he's like dying. He can barely keep it in. And I'm like, did, so does Shannon know, you know, Derek's girlfriend? It wasn't like he just said, he goes, no, her. he more than knew her. So it, it, it really hit home. For Derek Thomas, God rest his soul, and lost his mind. Denver scored and touched on that drive. And that that's just the stuff he did. I mean, Chad Brown, another quick story, you know, linebacker for the Steelers all those years, moves to the Seattle Seahawks, playing in Colorado. And uh, so it's, you know, Denver, it's a home game for Denver. But Chad Brown has like a a, a pro exotic, so an exotic reptile store in Colorado. So Shannon knew this. And he gets his ass kicked on the play. Like Chad Brown lays him out. So this is Chad's play to like rub it in and really, and and really give it to Shannon Sharp. And Shannon's just laying there and says, Oh, don't worry. I'm just going to burn your store down tonight. 
he's got me there there's really nothing i can do because we're getting on a plane after this game and if he wants to burn my store down i guess he can (laughs) he just had he's like he had everyone's number mentally i mean that was what was so great about this and i mean he's you know he's a personality he's he's got his own show uh forget what it's called shannon and kip skip bayless undisputed i think is what it's called uh but you know these guys have become personalities which is interesting and i want to move on to you know we mentioned tony gonzalez you know he kind of brought he, I think he was the first basketball player to play, uh, and and he really played for fun, and you know that's part of the the hallmark of this of this of his chapter. Uh, but you get into you know Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham is like a freak athlete who was a basketball player converted. You know he's kind of one of the second. I think Tony Gonzalez was the first. Jimmy Graham was the second real superstar to be a basketball player converted to football. I don't quite understand this shift, you know, and I think you kind of lay it out in the book where you could be, you know, a good, a good professional basketball player and you'll be eighth, ninth, tenth guy on, on a lineup and you're not going to see the floor. You'll be a backup or whatever. Or you can come and be a tight end in the NFL and, you know, and, and do well, even though the tight end is the third lowest play, you know, paid player, which I found out in this kicker, fullback, tight end. But That's they right. make a lot more money. Uh, so I thought this was interesting. And Jimmy Graham, you know, he looks frail when you when people look him up. He's a very thin guy, but very, very tough. Uh, but what about this switch? I want to talk about this switch from, you know, being um, this is the next step in the evolution. Uh, they get these athletes from other sports that seem to bring a real new generation of athleticism to the position. I mean, you said you were six four and you played basketball, Dan. I mean, you missed yeah. your calling as, as a tight, tight end. Clearly, I mean, you. I'm not two forty. I'm not two sixty. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Though I, I think that Tony Gonzalez just blew the door open on an entirely new specimen in pro football, and that is the six four, six five, six six basketball player who never even really thought about football. Now, now, Tony did play high school and college football, obviously, but he yeah. forced the evolution of th- this body type, this athlete that on a basketball court has a ceiling, right? You're, you can only go yeah. so far in the paint as a 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, power yeah. forward, center, right? And, and he's at Cal, he's in the Pac-10. He's battling with Ed O'Bannon at UCLA, Tim Thomas, you know, some tall guys in there that are, they've got five, six, seven inches on him. So he's got to learn how to time up rebounds and time up his jump shots. And it's really hard to kind of operate in that space at his size. He's just severely undersized, but then he's playing football and it's the same type of athletic movements, right? To grab a rebound or go up for a shot, whatever. And you're now going against a five ten DB, a six foot DB. Right. It's it's child's play. It's embarrassing. And and look yeah. at his highlight reels. It's it's plucking footballs the top guys' heads. And it, it was automatic. Dante Whitner's like I knew exactly what was coming late in his career. He's with Atlanta, and I can't stop it because there's yeah. nothing I can do physically <laughs> against Tony Gonzalez at the highest point of that of that throw. So I just think that he blew the he blew the doors open, and now everybody's thinking, okay, well we got we got to find something like this. We're going to start scouting basketball players and Antonio Gates gets his shot. Jimmy Graham, I mean, before he even caught one pass in college, the one year he played and he only caught 18 balls, um, mm. Bill Belichick wanted to add him to the Patriots practice squad. He, wow. he, he They put him through a workout with Matt Patricia and said, hey, just hang out on our practice squad, hang out with Tom Brady and develop with us. And to Jimmy Graham's credit, he said, no, I, 
I need a year of college football to kind of learn the tight end wow. position, learn the game. Yeah. He did that, helped his own stock and became a third round pick, which is, I mean, that's a crazy story unto itself, how the Saints drafted him. Uh, but yeah, after that, it was like, it, it's very quickly became, you better have one of these guys at tight end. And if you don't, you better be looking for one or you're going to be stuck in the stone age offensively in the NFL. Well, it makes sense because, you know, I always learn, you know, it's an old adage. You can't teach height. Right. And in basketball, height is kind of king. You know, you look at a guy like Kevin Durant, who's 6'10", and he plays and shoots like a point guard. It's a, he's a freak. He's a freak of nature. Right. And that that's 6'10 at the small. I mean, he doesn't really play point guard, but he could. And he play, that's the smallest position. Whereas in football, if you're 6'7", you're a foot above everyone else. I mean, height is a real advantage in football. And, you know, I think that that's kind of, it started to make sense to me when, you know, as I was reading this, that that athleticism and the ability to out jump anyone, you know, those 50, 50 balls, they're not 50, 50 balls anymore, you know, and and someone who's playing at, you know, in basketball is going to have a lot more, uh, a lot more practice in those types of situations with rebounding and things like that. So it's an interesting skill set, but it's a strange change, but that's part of this evolution of the tight end position. And I think we end here, you know, we're coming short on time, but we got to talk about Rob Gronkowski, who I think adds a level of authenticity to this sport that, you know, his stories, this, I mean, I will tell you, the Shannon Sharp chapter you wrote, I was laughing out loud, genuinely crying, (laughs) laughing. Uh, And I'll tell you this, and I'll tell you this, the, um, the story, the Jimmy Graham chapter I was in tears legitimately at just how sad his story is and what he overcame. I mean, it's a devastating story, and I really was rooting for him, and I didn't know any of it. Rob Gronkowski's, your chapter on Rob Gronkowski, I mean, my jaw was on the floor the whole time. And and I just want to start, I want to start with Rob, I, well, I don't even know where to start, actually, because I want to get to the story where some guy tries to take him out across the field and that ends his career, which is the craziest story I've ever read. Um, but let's do, can you give me a quick, give me the quick, like how did the, the, the formulation of Ron Gronkowski, quick story from a child and, but work in that story that, that you know that I'm talking about. He just was a runaway freight train of a human being in every conceivable way. I mean, on the field, off the field, he basically, you know, and Jeremy Shockey's on the cover of the book for good reason too, because he was brash. He was loud. He was in your face, but, but Grant kind of took everything Jeremy Shockey was. I think I even wrote this and almost like he Mm -hmm. shoved it into a cannon and lit the fuse. It was larger than life in the terms of, off the field, he's going to have the Gronk cruise and party with Waka Flocka Flame. And he, he believed the partying helped him out and that he's, mm. you know, he's just drinking, you know, vodka waters or whatever it was. So he's not getting yeah. the beer gut like, like right. I, and a lot of us may have at night. Dancing on the, dancing in that way you said, dancing. right? Yeah. He's dancing all night. Yeah. So he's getting his cardio in. And then when he's hung over, he's popping in an insanity DVD with his brothers and working out in the morning. So yeah. he's doing all that. Like him and Shockey both kind of felt a, a shred of guilt as much as they partied and stuff. It was like, they felt a little bad. And like Shockey would wake up in the middle of the night and bang out 75 pushups when he was mm-hmm. drunk. So they kind of were similar that way. But then yeah, on the field, it was just like you know, physically he's built unlike anybody in the game. He's just a, a a legit caveman out there running over everybody, but he was so big and so strong that play references it's in college. He's at Arizona and Alfonso Jackson, a DB at Washington state 
I mean, he was a, a headhunter in his own right. I mean, he was a hard hitting DB with NFL aspirations and just told me like he saw Grok, he ran full speed at Grok and he just bounced off of him. And that was the defining play in Grok's college career. Rob knew nothing about Alfonso and what happened to him after the fact, but we get into how that. I don't, I don't, I don't even think he knew he hit him at the time. <laughs> no, 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 he just felt something bounce off of him. Yeah. Uh, but geez, I mean, that, that basically ended his, his football career. I mean, that, yeah. that concussion led to just a, a catalytic series of events into the next season where that's the power of Gronk. He just moves one direction, get out of his way. He's going to live his life. And I feel like, more than football stuff, Rob Gronkowski's legacy on the game, it was really felt the summer after the 2011 season. So that's the year he really broke onto the scene, year two in the NFL. They get to the Super Bowl, right? He's in a boot. He, he shouldn't even really be playing. He's out there on one good leg. Um, the Hail Mary that he just misses from his fingertips. And what happened after that crushing Super Bowl loss? He, he partied his ass off. He did what Gronk does. He went to the Super Bowl party that was scheduled ahead of time with LMFAO, and he's with his brothers. He's ripping his shirt off, and we had never seen anything like that because you yeah. should be sad and depressed and down and out if you lose a Super Bowl. I mean, yeah. expatriates are ripping him, Rodney Harrison, and I feel like Rob Gronkowski's reaction to the backlash is what helped the game and the position as much as anything because he, yeah. he's, he's with the Belichick. He's with the Patriots. It's militaristic. Get in line, you know, say you're sorry, go on a PR tour, never do that again. Right. He went the other direction. He apologized <laughs> for nothing. He partied harder. That was the summer he said he wanted to take Tim Tebow's virginity publicly. <laughs> like he, he went off the deep end and Belichick to his credit, just let Rob be Rob for the most part because he knew it was really damn good. And it, it was he was at his best when he was in his purest form. So I think that was so good for the game to remember, to be yourself, be authentic. Like football's supposed to be fun and just mm-hmm. go out there. And if you're yourself, people are going to love it. And for whatever reason, we see that at the tight end position again and again and again, especially today with, with Kittle, with Kelsey, Dawson Knox, all these guys had the same kind of personality. Yeah. Well, you know, and it, it, we haven't even, you didn't even mention his childhood. You got to read the book to check out Gronk's childhood. <laughs> uh, but I love that the thing about Tim Tebow, because he's almost channels his inner Rodney Dangerfield from Caddyshack, where he's like, hey, we're all going to get laid. Hey! And everyone cheers. Right. Like he just seemed like that guy. <laughs> um, and I think Bill Belichick, you know, for anyone who's seen the Dennis Rodman documentary and in some ways, Bill Belichick treated Gronk kind of how Phil Jackson treated Dennis Rodman, which is. Yeah, if Dennis Rodman wants to go to Vegas the night before a playoff game, I think it was a playoff game, and just get wasted, if he performs, that's what Rodman needs to do to succeed. And the the coaches recognize that. And to, for Gronk to succeed, you kind of had to give him a long leash. And this is, you know, this is just kind of what happens at this elite level where people perform and do something no one else can do. You know, that seems to be a theme in football and yeah. sports. What can you do that no one else on this planet can do? And you, you, you get, you know, you get the benefits of that, you know? Um, and so, so really quickly, I am curious why Kelsey did not appear in your book. He's on my fantasy, on my legacy fantasy team. I was surprised at that. But I want to mention one thing really quickly about George Kittle, a uh, big pro wrestling fan. He kind of is the evolution of like what a type, like Gronk was the new prototype. George Kittle kind of encapsulates everything. And I would be remiss if we did not end the show with his trash talking, which seems to be the like 
anti-trash talking where he goes on a line and tells people jokes to get them kind of unsettled. I think he got Aaron Donald to jump off sides with a goofy dad joke. And then he crushes <laughs> you once he's lulled you in a false sense of security. What a great addition to the to the trash talking tight end role. What do you think about that? That, that's exactly it. I mean, he, he here he is in the heat of competition. <laughs> Testosterone is just cranked to yeah. absolute full blast for everybody, especially that D-line, right? These yeah. guys that the tight ends are facing, you know, for 50, 60, 70 snaps a game. I mean, their job is to get upfield and destroy every snap. Yet Kittle, he, know, he knew he had the nose, and it's present tense. He's saving football as we talk here. Um, yeah, good. He knows that he has the ability to just flip that switch. He can mm-hmm. go out there, crack a joke, talk about the hot dog vendor in the stands, notice something <laughs> on the field that he finds funny, say, hey, how you doing? Have a great game today. Almost be like Ned Flanders out there. Very much, and it, yeah. It just, <laughs> he just pisses guys off. Like, why, why are you talking to me like this? Like, I hate yeah. this. But then he can be like that try to disarm you, get you to laugh. He's gotten guys to laugh. Then when the ball snapped, he's able to just turn it on and crush. So that, I mean, George Kittle's own odyssey to that point where he's able to kind of flip that switch is pretty wild. I really had no idea what he went through at Iowa. I mean, Mm -hmm. seeing the, you know, sports psychiatrist and, and learning how he he was very anxious and had a lot of stress in college was every play, every practice was so do or die for him that he started like writing a, you know, drawing the red circle on his wrist yep. tape to kind of like reset after every play that, that helped him a lot. And he stopped partying that helped him a little bit too. And he gets to the NFL and he really was the modern tight end who, who makes plays as a receiver and blocks. I think we tend to forget. And look, there's, I'm not anti Kelsey by any means. He's unbelievable. I really just wanted to get tight ends, you know, from, from 1960 to today, try to get every, era really accounted for up 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 to today's game and to me just kittle it's subjective kittle embodies everything the position really is because of the fact that san francisco might run for 250 yards he might catch one pass in that game but he's just as responsible for those 250 yards as anybody on the field he takes such a Fair pride enough. in that part of the game that i don't i don't, I don't know if kelsey really does to the extreme kittle does uh, but yeah, a lot of, I mean, the, the alter egos that he taps into the Joker, all this yeah. stuff. Um, it was great talking to, talking to Kittle at length. That makes sense. And you know, the, the, the last quote here, I think his dad taught him to take no prisoners, which is, this is a great quote where you win in the fourth quarter because you've beat your opponents into submission for the previous three quarters. And I think that that's true of any sporting event out there. You, you you do all the war, even a chess game, you win chess because you've outmaneuvered your opponent for the previous 20 minutes or 45 minutes or whatever. Yeah. And I think that that's really that's really important. Uh, so this, you know, a lesson for life, Tyler Ro- Rocco, my man, Rocco. This is this is really, <laughs> you, you put this book together and it's it tells not only life stories, how life works, uh, but the, the history of football as told through the tight end, as told through your eyes. It's called How the Tight End Save Football, Blood, no, Blood and Guts. Hold on. Am I getting this right? You tell me. Why don't you promo your book? How can people get it? How can people find you, go. the book? Here, let's get a shot of this. Give me that. There you go. The Blood, the blood and guts. guts, How Tight End Save Football. There you go. You, you were on the right track there. And uh, yeah, and everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, your local bookstores. And A, if you want to subscribe uh, to Go Long at golongtd.com. And if you make it annual, just hit me up. I'll send you a book. 
personally signed. So, oh, my email, I should give you my email then, golongtd at gmail.com. So would love to uh, send you a copy. Social media as well. Where can people find you? The personality that is Rocco. That's your new one. <laughs> I love it. Right. I, as, as an avid reader, which I appreciate, man, I'm always I'm always trashing Twitter and I have for years. But tw- Twitter is pretty important, I guess. Right. To, to get the word out there. So uh, at Ty Dunn, just T-Y-D-U-N-N-E on, uh, on Twitter, uh, Instagram, too, I guess on there as well. But definitely living in the Substack world, which has just been Awesome. I mean, Substack kind of is its own community unto mm-hmm. itself. And I, I just can't thank everybody out there enough for, for subscribing, for reading, you know, launch and go along a few years ago. No idea what to expect, but hey, people want to read and, and learn about the game, which is all we can ask for. Well, I'm embarrassed. You're the second person in a row, the second guest who's promoted a Substack account, which I'd never heard of before three weeks ago. So we will have your Substack link uh, there as well. And I am not on Substack, but you can find this show, fascinatingnouns.com, where you can get all of Tyler's information. We'll have it there in one nice, convenient little place, links to his book, all of his social media. And of course, you can find me on social media uh, and the show, Fascinating Noun on Twitter, Fascinating Nouns on Facebook, and again, fascinatingnouns.com. This is a fantastic book. A, a, a great way to look at football, and you turned me around. You know, I thought I was going to be come off as a little soft early on, but you hardened me. You know, I don't know if I'm ready quite <laughs> to play tight end, but I think you've had a major influence on me. So thank you for that. Thank you for changing my life, Tyler. Daniel, hey, the pleasure's all here. I mean, you said 6-4, so, you know, just be like Gronk, just pound some subways and so with every possible dressing, with the cookies. You know, all these tight ends, they had to put on weight, too, at some point. Right. Dallas Clark's pound of those protein shakes. So I think there's, I think there's still hope for, you know, XFL, <laughs> USFL, maybe, maybe we start there, but we'll, we'll get you to the NFL. I love it. I mean, you got to have a finish line. It's always got to be something to work for. Uh, so thank you for, thank you for believing in me, Rocco. I, I believe in you as well. And of course, <laughs> I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel G. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. And I'm guessing after listening to this, you never want to miss another episode. You're going to want to subscribe. We are on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. and We even have links right there on our show website, which is fascinatingnouns.com. You can find all the links right there. And let's say you don't have a favorite podcasting platform. That's no problem. You can listen to every episode right there on the website, which is once again, fascinatingnouns.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. It's a great way to learn more about the episodes that you're listening to, find out about upcoming episodes, and to just keep in touch with the community. It's right there on the website. Speaking of community, there's no better way to stay in touch than on social media. And you can find links to our show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages right there on the front page of fascinatingnouns.com. And speaking of YouTube, there's a video version of this episode there right now, uh, as well as other past episodes and all future episodes. It's going to be right there, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. It's a great way to see all the guests and, uh, you know, check it out live and in person. Feel like you're there in studio. Great way to do it, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And finally, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com and check out all of my projects and see what's going on. Once again, thank you for listening.
End of transmission.